We are in chapter 4, verse 17. So, we are then introduced to the genealogy. This is the first genealogy we get in the Bible. It's a short one, and it's tracing the genealogy of Cain. And there are several names in this genealogy, ten in all, but it's interesting when he gets to the seventh name, the narrator pauses and unpacks it. Seven is completion. So we get six names, Cain, Enoch, Irad, Mahujael, Methuselah, and Methusiel. And then we get to Lamech. And Lamech, the Bible pauses on him and develops him a little bit more. So in verse 19 we get, Lamech took two wives for himself. The name of the first was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabel. He was the first of those who were made tents. So we're given the first sin of Lamech that's mentioned is that he's a polygamist. Now this one's tricky. Because polygamy is never, ever, ever forbidden by God in the Bible. He ne- there's not one verse that forbids it. There's not one command from God that forbids it. And that chock fall, a law for everything that you could possibly imagine you think in Leviticus, there's nothing against polygamy. And there's a lot of laws against improper relationships with certain people, but nothing against polygamy. Now, that's led lots of people to suspect But most likely, God has not directly forbid polygamy because he's made it very clear that God's his intention is a man and woman becoming one flesh. So you don't really need a direct command to forbid that. Two, it is so a part of the culture. And what's interesting is that there are certain things that God tolerates, for lack of a better word, because to completely strip it out of the culture like that would be to destroy the culture. And so some things that he doesn't directly forbid, as in cold turkey, stop because the culture will be destroyed. So he slowly moves it out of the culture. And one of the ways that he forbids polygamy or shows that polygamy is not his ideal is one, through the command that two shall become one flesh, and two, the fact that you get so many stories where they just jack up their family with polygamy. And that's what we're going to see. When Abraham becomes a polygamist, Jacob's going to become a polygamist. Um, they, their families just fall apart. And so he, a lot of times, <clears throat> this is what's interesting. There's a lot of sins that there's no direct command against it. God just kind of tells you a story. And the story has everybody's lives falling apart. And it's kind of like, make your own conclusion. Like, it's probably not good to be a polygamist after this many stories where nothing ever turned out well. So, and then it, probably maybe the best modern-day example I can think of is something that God maybe t- has it directly forbidden and kind of tolerates in a way is our materialism as Americans. Um, where is the line that you cross in materialism? How much is too much? Well, it really has more to do with your heart. But materialism is so much a part of our culture. And sometimes I feel guilty for living in a house that's bigger than a cardboard box compared to most people in the world. But at the same time... There's no way I can survive in a house like that with my family, like somebody over there could. Um, So these are the difficult ones. It's like it's definitely not benefiting our culture to be materialistic, but it's not like God's directly coming out and saying having stuff is bad and having stuff is wrong, nor should you conclude that. Um, And so it's just one of those things. It's just where you are in your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, and 
you allow him to reveal things to you. And that's kind of how he deals with polygamy. But so we learn that their names are Ada and Zillah, which means pretty and tinkle. As in tinkle as in the tinkling of a bell, something that sounds beautiful. And the narrator is kind of wanting to portray the idea that he's not marrying in order to further the image of God and expand the kingdom. He's marrying because they're pretty. It's more about lust and the sensual. And that's kind of the idea that's being communicated here. They have a son, Jabal, and he was the first of those to live in tents and keep livestock. Now you're like, wait a minute, wasn't Abel a keeper of livestock? No. He tended to the sheep. The word keep here has more the idea of collecting them and gaining possessions off of them. Abel seemed to be more of the idea of I live, livestock is the way that I survive. Jabal has more the idea that he is buying them and selling them in order to make more money. It's a business for him. Now, don't get it wrong. The Bible's not saying that having a business like that is bad. It's just saying this is where his heart is. He's a keeper of livestock, not a caretaker of livestock. For him, the animals are property to make money off of, not necessarily a commission from God to take care of the planet. So not that you can't make money off of animals, it's just that's not, that's not his first and primary intention, or it is. So the name of his brother was Jubal, and he was the first of all to play the harp and the flute. Now, once again, this is the beginning of music. Not necessarily the beginning of music, but the idea of instruments being added to it. And the Bible is portraying this in a very negative way. Now, obviously the Bible is not anti-music because it's all the way throughout the Bible. And you have to really like ignore like most of the Bible to get that point from this verse. But the point is, it's rooted in the first verses that Cain left God and built a city in rebellion to God, and his children are living in the city of rebellion. Therefore, in that context, the development of keeping of livestock, the development of music, and when we later get to Tubal Cain, who will fashion farm tools, the idea seems to be that technology is being developed not to expand the kingdom of God, but technology is being developed to overcome the curse through your own means. And here, the, the, the Bible is going to become very anti-technology and very anti-city, which will become nations. Now, once again, if you make the conclusion that God is just anti-technology and anti-city for the sake of being anti, you've missed the whole point. And this is the unfortunate stance of the Amish. And they've missed out on the bigger picture. God is not making the point that these are anti because everything that God created is good, okay, including the brain and the ability to create things and music and instruments and farming and all that kind of stuff. The point that God is making here is that technology and the city tend to become more of a way of rebelling and depending on ourselves than it does expand the glory of God. And so this is important to understand. This is the beginning of the city and then the nation and of technology. So let me clarify it this way. Yes, we live in cities. Does that make us wrong and evil and bad? No. One, we are post the Great Commission, which has called us to go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
But we have something that the ancient world doesn't have, and that's called the Holy Spirit. And so pre-Holy Spirit is very important to stay away from the cities. And you're going to see this theme all throughout the Bible, when Lot moves towards the city, but Abraham stays in the countryside. Um, Without the Holy Spirit, there's this sense that, I mean, it's hard enough to live in the city with the Holy Spirit. There's a sense where community gets lost. And I know we feel like, well, that doesn't make sense. Aren't there more people gathered together? Yes. But when we group together in great numbers, isolation actually increases. It's, I mean, think about it. Out in the countryside, people seem to be more community-oriented. But you come to the city, and most people don't really know their neighbors. And they don't really hang out with them, and they don't talk to them. And we become isolated, and people just become numbers. The, the reality is we become so overwhelmed and bombarded with how many numbers there are it's impossible to feel like we can actually connect. In fact, modern-day psychology has said that the most deep relationships you can have at one time is 13. That's the, most, the biggest a group can be of deep, that you can have, which is interesting because Jesus had 12 disciples. Socially, in psychology, beyond 13 friends, you really can't go deep. With, I mean, you can have lots of friends and have friends, but you really can't go deep in a true connecting sense. And so the city becomes bad. And so a city is where, to make this point, even today, crime rates, higher in cities or the countrysides? Do more people know each other in villages and towns than in, or in cities? Not saying it's wrong to be there, but acknowledge. I love what my fellow teacher, um, Joel Walton, says. Um, With every gain, there's a loss. Not that that gain is necessarily bad, but you have to understand that every gain has a loss. Even marriage, there's a loss. Freedom, singleness, the ability to to have more time to to be in ministry and do the kingdom of God, that kind of stuff. Having children is even more of a loss, but there's great gains. This is the question we need to ask. Is the loss worth the gain? And for each of them, that's different in certain areas. And that's the same thing with the city. Now, technology. Is God anti-technology? No. Well, let me ask you a question. Does your iPhone and your Netflix subscription, has that increased your relationship with God and connecting with other people, or has it hindered it drastically? When you look on Ohio State campus, do you see them more connected with each other or more self-absorbed as they're on their phones? High school teacher. Oh, my God. It's like crack. They have to put their phones in this little caddy during class, so they cannot access it. But you give them a break, and they are running for those phones and opening them up and stuff. It's crack. It's not, and I've actually seen people talk to each other through their phones as they're sitting next to each other, texting. Okay, they're like sitting right next to each other, and they're just texting them like, who are you texting, him? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. How long have you been doing this? I don't know. Maybe 15 minutes? Have you talked to each other? We kind of laughed. This is the point that God is making. Not that this stuff is bad in itself, but these things present dangers to relationship with God. And most of the time, technology in city is city is where we gain more power over more people, and technology is where we seem to become more in control of our circumstances without needing God. Don't mean you walk home guilty, but self-reflection is always healthy. And so this is the point that God is making. Cain's line is developing technology to overcome the curse. The second sin um, that we learn about with Lamech is his murder. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zelda, 
Listen to me, you wise old Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for hurting me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times as much, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Totally missed the judgment of God. So not only has he murdered a man, but he's bragging about it, and he thinks that he's under the protection of God for it. So basically, if Cain murders a man because he's jealous, and God avenges him, then how much more will God avenge him for killing a man that deserves it, in his opinion? See, Cain was his passion. This guy had the audacity to wrong Lamech, and so he murdered him. And so there's this sense of he's a polygamous, which means there's no real desire for a true relationship. He has murdered a man, which is no desire for a relationship. He's bragging about it, which is pride, which kind of ruins relationship. And this line is developing cities and technologies, which kind of hinders relationship. And so the idea is that man is destroying the family. Man is destroying the family. And the family is dying under this pressure. And just to kind of further my point, um, you know the number one thing that has destroyed the family in America? It's not taking prayer out of the schools, though that was bad. Yeah, but the big one that really did it was the Industrial Revolution. Technology. Advancement. Why? Because no longer was the family together working on their own land. Now the man was taken out of his house to work in the factory. Then the woman was left alone with kids and had no adult that she could connect to. And then she felt isolated. Then they felt the need to train these kids in order to do these things, which then meant creating public schools, which took the children from the mother, and now the family doesn't spend most of their day together. It was not, it was something that was not evil in itself, but led to the destruction of the family. So this is the point that God is making. These things are not bad, but be very aware of what they do. So Cain's line develops in this route. Verse 25, Adam had marital relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth, saying, God has given me another child. So in place of Abel, who because of Cain killed him. And his son was also born to Seth, and his name was Enosh. And at that time, people began to worship Yahweh. Now this is what's interesting. Notice it does not have them developing cities. It does not have them developing technology. It says that Seth is born, and at that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh, or worship Yahweh, depending on your translation. Now, once again, the idea is not like praising God or anything like that kind of stuff. The idea is committing your life to God in service. That Seth, who does not go into technology, and Seth, who does not go to the city, actually begins to lead people to their true connection in God. Community, worship, service, the expansion of the garden. And so this is the point that is making. Family is more important than cities, technology, 